Welcome. Thanks for tuning in to the Going Up, Going Down podcast brought to you by The Athletic. I'm Ali Maxwell and George Ellick is my podcast partner. And this is episode three of EFL Completed, where we interview players that have experienced just about everything that English professional football has to offer. Now, if you're not a subscriber to The Athletic and you'd like to check out what it has to offer, head to theathletic.co.uk forward slash EFL pod for a 90 day free trial. Now, George, uh, so far on this series, we've lived the journeys of Connor Harrahan and Dave Edwards, and it's another smashing guest this week. Yes, today we are joined by a proper EFL legend. Released from boyhood club Hull City, aged 19, he would go on to score 84 goals for them over two spells. Fourth in the list of Bradford's all-time top scorers and one of the very few players to play for both Sheffield clubs. This striker's career was topped off with a moment that most can only dream about when, having been bought for 150 grand as a 38-year-old, he netted Hull tens of millions of pounds and a first crack at the Premier League with an iconic playoff final goal at Wembley Stadium. It is, of course, Dean Windass. How are you doing, Dean? I'm very well, thanks. Yeah, good. Yeah, good. Dean, we cannot wait to hear all about your journey as a professional footballer. We've got to start at the beginning because, as George mentioned... I was mentioned, going to say, we've got about four or five hours then. <laughs> <laughs> well, we're going to rattle through it, but we're going to get a great sense of, of the journey that you went on. Um, yeah. Born and bred in Hull, you went to yeah. games as a youngster, as a fan. You also mm. joined the youth system. And we know how the fairy tale ends, and we're going to get to that, but it wasn't plain sailing because... You were released. And my question is, what on earth were they thinking? It's probably the best thing that ever happened to me, really. Uh, not at the time. Uh, obviously, like you just said there, me me going to, to Bullfrey Park um, to watch Hull City as a, as a six-year-old kid sat in the south stand. I think like any other footballers, local local lads who probably didn't like Alan Shearer went to Newcastle, didn't he, in the, in the Gallagher. So it was just like me, my, me going to Bullfrey Park with my dad um, you know, dreaming that I'd, one day I'd, I'd play at Bullfrey Park. Um, yeah, at the age of at the age of sixteen, you get you get uh, a YTS, which I got. And what happened at the end of that? Why why was it? Looking back, I suppose, and I'm sure you were uh, had some explanation given to you at the time. Why did you not get that professional contract? I think in them days, looking looking back now, and obviously at that time, you, you know, you had you had devastated. But I, listen, I was a very very late developer, very very late. Um, so when when all my mates were like had tashes and, and beards and this that and other, I didn't ever I didn't ever cheap on me. Do you know what I mean? And it was one of them where. I was always behind in the running, you know. They'd even when we used to do in them days, we used to do like twelve minute runs round round the pitch, and you had to get sort of nine laps in around the pitch, and 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 obviously Brian Orton was the manager, Dennis Bove was the assistant manager, Tom Wilson was our youth team coach, and they'd set me off like 30, 40, 50 yards in front, and I'd still get I'd still get lapped. So physicality was me, was my weakness really, and uh, so. You know, it's one of them situations where my dad always, my dad used to give me great advice. Obviously, not with us no more, but he, he always used to say like, "You you play catch up." You know, because their lads, them lads, will stay at one level, at their height, and they've grown grown as a man early, and you'll catch them up. But at the age of eighteen, Brian Orton was the manager. You know, obviously, we all had the what we called the D Day, um, and everybody got dragged in individually. As a so, the first six. 
I think the first five, sorry, all, all got, got put through the books. Andy Payton, Lee Jenkinson, Gavin Kelly, Neil Buckley, Mike Smith, Les, Les Thompson. They all went in first. So they came back out and said, yeah, I've got a year pro, I've got a year pro. Then like four lads went in who got released. And I was the last one. And I thought, well, because I'm the last one, I'm thinking that they're going to give me a pro contract. And Brian sat in front of me. Do you know, I remember it till what well, was yesterday. And he turned around and he says, look, I'm, I'm really sorry, but we can't offer you a pro contract. You've got all the ability in the world. You're technically better than anybody else. You, your football brain's like a computer, but we can't give you a pro contract because phys- physically you can't you can't get around the football pitch. And, you know, at that time, you you know, you, you think your world's ended, don't you? You, you know, I, there was no mobiles then. I only live around the corner, so... I used to mountain bike to, to Bullfrey Park all the time on my bike in the morning and and I I, I, I biked home. I waited for me my dad to come home from work. My mum was at home and uh, just burst out crying really and just said I've I've been released. You know, I, I, well, you know I always say in my autobiography, I want the brightest at school. You know, I went to school every day, but I want the brightest and I thought, well, what am I gonna do? It's fascinating that you're 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 still being told that technically you're a level above everyone else. But yeah. because of, of what they consider to be physical deficiencies, there's no room for you. I find that really, yeah. really interesting. Well, even I, I, but even even the lads who got pros, they were like, they were, they, they were like I can't believe that you haven't got a pro, you know, because obviously, you know, when we used to do demos, I was the one who had to do the demos, keeping the ball up, catching the ball on your neck, you know, doing all these things. And, and like you say, when we used to do five-a-sides, that old city they used to call them a Raz. I don't know why they called them a Raz, but all, all, all the players, all the all the pros, so you'd have to play against the pros. And in a five-a-side in the in, in the indoor gym that we used to have, City's gym, they used to call it. Um, you know, I was I was unplayable really. You know, because I didn't have to run far. Do you know what I mean? It was a smaller area. So technically, my football intelligence was was like streets ahead of anybody else, but my physicality wasn't. And and that's and and listen, Brian Norton's a a very good friend of mine I'll tell you a story about Brian later on but you know he just said look we just couldn't offer you a contract at that time you had to like uh, many people in your situation um, play your football in non-league for a few years after that and also work alongside that and, and you've said that the the sort of physical labour that you had to do did did help to to bulk you up to, to some extent and what that meant was Hull were in a position to bring you back to the club after your time with North Ferriby aged 22 in 1991 and, and then you do start your professional career and you do start it with Hull City. What I'm interested in is to know that uh, what your mentality was like having been rejected by the club as a youth player to come back age 22 to have them want you again do you remember having you know a different mentality or, or some sort of chip on your shoulder or anything to do with that rejection I actually played for my pub team uh, on on like a park next door to, to where you could see both park lights and we used to kick off at two o'clock and obviously you'd see the lights on and I'd be jealous that they're you could hear the supporters there weren't many in them days but you could hear the, hear the supporters and, and my dad used to come watch me on the park and he used to say, right, you'll be playing on there. And I said, no, I'm not now. That's my chance gone. And then obviously, yeah, you know, working on a building site, me, you know, obviously started to grow as a man, started to play for North Ferriby, started to play against men. But I was still streets ahead of anybody in the sense of football intelligence and my ability. But as soon as I started getting stronger and stronger, you know, then obviously you need a little bit of luck. And Terry Dolan, who, who, who got the job at Hull City from Rochdale, he bought a house in North Ferriby. And he he did that had been released two years, two years before. 
Um, you know, Hull City wasn't in a financial situation where they could go buy players for two, three hundred grand. So they were like looking to bring in non-league players or, or we could get people on a free. And um, it was Nicky Bambi's dad, Jeff Bambi, who rang me and he says, oh, Terry Dolan's been on the phone because um, Jeff Bambi knew my dad and he just says, oh, they want you to go back on trial on, on the Monday. And I was self-employed on a, on a building site. I was a labourer. And I said to my boss, I said, look, I've got a chance to go back on trial. I've been playing well for Ferriby. But I was a centre midfield player when they brought me. He didn't. He didn't. He didn't sign me as a centre forward. He, I was a centre midfield player, and my range of passing, I was, you know, good vision, this, that, another, and and then I, I trained on the Monday. Actually, Terry Dolan put in the in the local uh, paper the other day, two days ago, three days ago. Somebody said, "Get the paper." Terry spoke about it in the in the paper. So I don't know get the papers, and and um, it, it, it big headlines saying Dean Windus was the best signing I, I signed for all City, and and he gave us a good compliment and. And he t- he said in that article that the first training session I did, he made his mind up after 20 minutes. And he, he never told me that. And I trained with the first team. I trained with people like Lee Palin, who I thought was one of the best midfield players I played with, Lee Palin from Bradford. And you know, and, and he, he made his mind up after 20 minutes. I didn't know. And then he made me play in the, in the reserves on the Tuesday. All the all the pros was off on the Wednesday, and he says, "Come and see me Wednesday morning." And I, I never slept that Tuesday night. I scored actually in the in the reserve in the in the reserve game, playing centre midfield. And I thought I did all right. I thought, well, I ain't let myself down. And uh, Terry, after the game, Terry says the pros are off tomorrow, which was the Wednesday. He said, "Come in." I went and knocked on his door in the office. I didn't sleep that night. I said to my dad, "He's just going to tell me I'm going to, uh, you know, he's not going to give me a con. He's just going to let me go again." Um, I'd been on trials at other clubs before Sunderland and York uh, in between that spell and, and I got re- I, I didn't get a pro contract and I said this is another another one way he's going to say no and he sat me down and he said how do you think you're doing I went yeah I thought I did alright last night and he went um, I've spoke to the chairman and I thought oh, here we go he's going to go no sorry and he went uh, we're offering you a, a two and a half year contract I broke down crying I, well, I cry, I cry, I cry at Emmerdale, so I, you know what I mean? I, I'll cry at anything, mate. But I just thought, I just wanted somebody to give me the chance, give me the chance to, do you know what I mean? Um, I was a bit of a, I was a bit of a boyer's apprentice. I was a bit of a, I was the, the, uh, the joker of the pack, which I, I'd become all my, all my life, really. I was a quite outspoken character. I wasn't a shy kid. Um, so I did a lot of stupid things at college where, you know, well, I can't explain it on here, but you do stupid things and, and or I'd go out drinking. Do you know, I'd have a couple of pints, which weren't allowed to go for a beer. So I got released that way. And then Terry said, the first words he said, he went, you've got a second chance now, don't throw it away. From the looks of things, another big moment uh, a year or two into your time with Hull was that move positionally from being a midfielder to being a striker. Whose sort of vision was that? Whose idea was that? And were you up for it? Or, or did you think, hold on, I, I kind of think I know what sort of player I am because ultimately it works. I mean, you score 40 goals over two seasons in, in 93 to 95. But I'm interested to to hear the story of the positional change. Steve Moran played up front uh, with, uh, with, with uh, Keegan at Southampton. Terry brought him in from Exeter. Um, and then Chris Argreaves was our other other centre forward from Grimsby, so they were our they were our main strikers really. And obviously, I was playing. Andy Payton had left to go to Celtic. Terry brought them two in, and uh, I was playing centre midfield with Lee Palin. And I played I played about 10, 10 15 games in centre mid, and I think I got a couple of goals. 
but I was always a good finisher in training. I'd always stay behind and do finishing. And, and then them two strikers got injured. They got injured and were playing Plymouth Argyle on the Tuesday night. And uh, Peter Shillett was in goal for Plymouth. And Terry pulled me in on the Monday morning or after training on Monday. And he says, you're going to have to play up front tomorrow, uh, tomorrow night, because we haven't got any strikers. And I used to play up front in training, you know what I mean? And I was always good with like holding the ball up and that. I didn't realise at the time. And uh, he says, you're going to have to play up front. And Peter Shilton was in goal. And I went, oh, all right then. And I actually found it easy because I thought, well, the balls were coming to me. I want quick. But I, I had a lad who played up front with me called Linton Brown who, was, who, who could catch pigeons. And um, we won 2-0 and I scored two. And I never, ever played in midfield ever again. <laughs> Every game, that- he just says, you play, you, you know, that's it now. We've got your position. And that season, I scored 17 goals. And then the season after, I got 24. And then I just kept, honestly, I just kept, and I like getting at tricks and this, that, and other. And obviously, that's when that's when the interest come from other clubs. In December 95, after playing over 200 games, you moved to Aberdeen in the Scottish Premiership. And I mean, we're mostly focusing on the, the English league system here, but it's the start of, uh, of a bit of a trend in terms of you being transferred. Is that Hull were in some financial difficulties and the the money that they received from selling you was huge in, in being able to keep moving forward, keep surviving. What I'd like to know is, given uh, your link with the club, would you have left anyway, do you think, if it had been up to you? Or did it feel a bit like you had to because of the financial problems? Well, I had no choice in the matter, but I always, listen, I always wanted to, you know, I was always ambitious. You know, when I, when obviously then, you know, Terry made me captain and this, that and the other one, uh, and playing for your own town club was just a, you know, one thing I always wanted to do. But then, obviously, then when you start establishing yourself as one of the top players, you want it, you know, you're watching match of the day, and you want to, you want to play against the, the the best players in the world. You know, you know, Gascoigne was my was my hero as a kid, and and then next minute you sign for Aberdeen and you're playing against him, you just think, whoa, wow, what's going on here? Um, but it wasn't the choice really. It wasn't the choice. I knew that there was a lot of interest because Terry had pulled me in. And says uh, we need we need some money, and you're the the biggest asset, um, two hundred and fifty grand. I think they owe the inland revenue, and um, it, uh, I was obviously married at the time, and uh, Joshua was who was two two year old, and uh, he pulled me in. He said Norwich have come in for you, uh, Martin O'Neill, and that deal fell through because Robert Chase was the chairman. He wouldn't pay the money up front, which Hull wanted uh, the six hundred grand. I think up front. And then obviously, eventually it went to seven hundred and fifty. And then about a month, about three weeks later, he pulled me in again. He says, "Oh, uh, Aberdeen have, have have come in for you." And I went, "Well, where's Aberdeen?" I didn't even bloody know where it was. And he just says, "Roy Aitken, they've 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 put the money up front." And uh, so by the Friday, the deal was done. You know, and I got on the plane with Terry. I didn't have an agent. I got on the plane with Terry, and he just says, "You you can't come back." Because if you cut, if you come back, you know, if you don't accept your personal terms, they're going to close the gates at Bulfrey Park, and and as you say, I was there for for two and a half years. You moved on from Aberdeen to Oxford United for a record transfer fee. You only spent eight months at the club, but you made quite an impact on the club and their fans in that time. Looking back, you know, it was a a side who ended up getting relegated. But looking at the team, you have to wonder how you had yourself. You had Joey Beecham, Phil Gilchrist, Paul Powell. What are your memories of your time at the club and of that team? Yeah, listen, on the pitch was was fantastic. Like you just said, we had some good players, you know, and it was the championship. I went there, Mally Shotton, 
was an ex-teammate of mine when I played at Hull in the 90s. Mally was centre-half. Um, I'd never played in the South before. My wife at the time was pregnant with my second child. But on the pitch, was fantastic. It changed, it changed my life. It changed my football career, really. Um, Mally started playing with centre midfield. And then I pulled him in and I says, no, I'm a centre-forward now. I'm not a midfield player. He wanted to play me like as a number 10, they called it now. And then all of a sudden, I, it, you know, I was quite close to Mali and I just said, shots. I said, look, you know, I want to play up front. And he put me up front and just started scoring goals again for fun. Uh, but my, my family life wasn't, wasn't happy. My, my wife couldn't settle. She just had uh, Jordan. Jordan was born in Oxford. And, and uh, I was coming home and she was crying. She was crying every day, not settled. You know, normally in, when in Aberdeen, she had loads of friends. And I always say that about, you know, footballers, it's not just about playing football. Your family life's got to be happy. And Josh had just started a school in Oxford. And I was, as you say, I was only there eight months. Scored the goal against Chelsea in the FA Cup when we nearly beat Chelsea. A young John Terry was marking me. And um, Ron Atkinson, I spoke to Ron Atkinson a few months ago and he said that he tried signing me for Forest, but that, that you know, that didn't go through. And uh, and I just went to see Mally and I said, look, my family life's not happy. Um, and obviously I was the top earner and obviously they owed me a lot of money signing on for you. And he said, look, you won't get your signing on for you if you ask for a transfer request. But because I was playing so well at the time and I had a lot of attention, I had an agent then, and he was saying, oh, these 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 are after you, these are after you. Um, and then, as you say, was it eight months, was it, I was there? Eight months, yeah. Yeah, and then Mally pulled me in again and he says, oh, we just agreed a fee of 950 grand to Bradford. Uh, and my wife went back to Hull to, to stay at her mum's because I was in the, uh, an hotel in Bradford. And then I got a house after about two months. And uh, and then, as you say, I ended up playing for Bradford. I mean, in March, you were playing for a side in the Championship who were destined for relegation. And by yeah. May, you were celebrating promotion to the Premier League Crazy. with Bradford City. <laughs> How were those couple of months? Crazy. As you say, we were, what, fifth, fifth from bottom, I think, Oxford at the time, sixth from bottom. Um, Bradford obviously didn't know at the time played against Bradford uh, at the Manor Ground the beaters 2-1 I think it was they had a great side which I obviously then went and joined um, so yeah it was it was just it was just crazy and then obviously I had to play against Oxford at, at Valley Parade uh, Martin Gray was kicking me from pillar to post he was um, he was a good friend of mine I played at Oxford with and, and yeah so so basically signing for for a team who was on the way, on the on the verge of, of promotion to 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 playing for a team who was going to get relegated, and that's when obviously Oxford starts struggle. I don't I don't think they struggled because they, they got rid of me, but obviously that was just the way it was. And but you know going there, listen, I got a compliment every football club that I played at, and and you can ask any manager who I played for apart from Alec Miller probably, is that every manager said to me, and it's not a coincidence. Every manager said to me, if you play well today, the team will play well, and I love that pressure. The bigger the stage, I love the pressure, and I love, you know, as you say, I wasn't the quickest, but my football intelligence got me away from centre halves. I was in the right place at the right time when balls were in the wide areas. So when I went to Bradford, you know, I had Bagri on the left left wing, you know, I had Jamie Lawrence on the right wing, Stuart McCall and Gareth Wally, and then I, I had to have competition with with Robbie Blake and Lee Mills, who were absolutely flying. I think they got forty odd goals that season. So I wasn't in the team when I first signed for Bradford. They had to be patient, and and then eventually I got I got in the team, and and yeah, to get automatic promotion, 
to the Premier League. I never ever thought I could play in the Premier League ever. You know, and it was one of them situations where right place, right time, good club for me. And then obviously, yeah, I was, you know, I had two spells there, and yeah, that, you know, again, the supporters took to me like duck to water again. Um, I think that supporters took to me because I was, I, I used to mess about on the pitch. You know, I used to, I played with a smile on my face. I never was the best player in the world, but I knew what I was good at, and people appreciated it. And when I crossed that white line, you know, I wanted to win a game of football. I'd do anything. I'd do anything to get somebody sent off. Obviously, I couldn't play now because there's that many cameras. I'd, be, I'd get sent off every week. <laughs> you know, we're big brother hanging around now. So, um, but you could you could do little silly, not nasty things like in the sense of punching people or. But I'd stand on people's toes in the box. I'd pull goalkeepers' shorts down from corners. You know, <laughs> want, wanting wanting players to react. You know, to react. You know, and if they react and they punch me or hit me, then you know they're going to get sent off. And and that's how I used to do. You know, it was one of them where if you got if you won, you had a bit more money in your in your, in your wage packet to to feed your family. So that's that's how I used to look at it. So, Ali, what have you been getting up to in lockdown this week? Pretty much just singing, to be honest. Just a <laughs> lot of singing, a lot of karaoke. And after using our lucky voice karaoke offer code EFL Sing, that's all one word EFL Sing. I've basically not had the mic out of my hand for the whole week. Yeah, I'm basically the same. I'm also a very popular uncle after giving my nephews a karaoke kit with the offer EFL Sing. With 9,000 songs and a month of free singing, it's proving a lifesaver for parents who can also enjoy some isolation karaoke when the kids are in bed. 9,000 songs, absolutely unbelievable. I've barely made a dent, uh, but I feel like I've sung more than ever before. <laughs> We've actually done a, a bit of karaoke before in our time together, George. What, what would be your dream EFL duet, would you say? Well, weirdly, about four years ago, I actually went to a Lucky Voice bar with the Oxford United squad in fancy dress. Kim Roof was dressed as Batman, but none of them were very good crooners. So I reckon a bit of Oasis with current viral sensation Johnny Jackson. How about you? Well, I would like to sing Elton John with Andre Ayew. Specifically, <laughs> Are You Ready for Love would be the go-to. I'm just fleshing out the lyrics uh, as we are. Maybe this is an idea for a podcast, in fact, EFL karaoke duets. Yeah, I'm keen if you are. So whether you're missing singing on the terraces, fancy yourself as a bit of a pop star or just want a bit of peace and quiet from the kids, Lucky Voice can make the assist. One month of free singing to access over 9,000 songs with the offer code EFL Sing. Yep, head to luckyvoicekaraoke.com for more information. The code is EFLSING. I read that you cancelled all your holiday plans for that summer in order to prepare and train yeah. yourself ready for Premier League football, showing yeah. that kind of commitment that I guess the fans really bought into. I mean, how did you find suddenly being on match of the day, suddenly being at that level? Well, it's just incredible because obviously, like you say, I, I knew that I wasn't the quickest and I looked at, you know, Listen, you don't imagine, you know, that when you're watching them on telly, how how, how good they are till you get on till you get on against them. You know, I talk to me after dinner speaking in the sense that, listen, David Seaman was quicker than me. Do you know what I mean? That's how I looked <laughs> at it, and uh, in tongue in cheek because everybody was athletes. And as you're right, yeah, I was very dedicated. I was very fit. I could get up and down the pitch now, and uh, you know, and I didn't I didn't go on holiday that summer. I know that we just had a baby, but I didn't go on that. I said to Helen. I, I can't, I can't afford to, to slip up here. I've got to go back as as fit as I could. So, and I did it right for my career. 
So I'd have three weeks off if we had six weeks off. I'd have three, three weeks where I'd go away with the family, you know. Uh, but then, you know, I'd still run every, I'd still run every day on on, on the beach, or I'd find the gym, on, on, you know, in the treadmill. I love running on treadmills. So, so right through my career, I'd do that. I'd go back ahead of myself, so I knew that when you run, I'd always run on my own because mentally, then you got, you know, you can't stop. So when you run with a group of players, it's easier. So I found, I found that every, and I think every every footballer who, who, who's worked with me. Um, towards the end of my career, I, you know, I don't think I ever got beat on a long distance run ever, because I was that good at long distance. I was that, you know, I could, I get beat in every sprint. But I, but I said yesterday, Fraser Campbell, uh, first time yesterday, and he was doing his pre-season thing yesterday, and the schedules that I'll, I'll Josh is doing now, and and I used to say, well, I used to, when we used to do sprints, I used to run with the quickest, because I tried to improve. I know they beat me in the hundred meter sprint. But I like I'd run with was Isaiah Rankin or Jamie Lawrence at Bradford when we used to do sprints. It's easy running against somebody who's the same as you. But I tried. I always tried to improve myself. And then, but when on the long distance one, you know, I'd leave everybody behind. And so that was my motivation to go back as fit as I could. Did that in the Premier League. Uh, you know, yeah, it was. Listen, you get two or three chances. Not even that. You know, when when they come along, you got to take them. And you know, yeah, I scored ten goals the first season. And, what a, what an unbelievable season! And Paul Joel was brilliant. Paul Joel was brilliant. He was a centre forward. I played against Paul when he was at Bradford in the early days, and I played for Hull, so I knew Paul. Uh, so he used to be really critical of the centre forwards. If I didn't get hold of the ball, he'd go mad at me in the centre there. And but I scored ten goals uh, the first year of the Premier League, and um, Paul Joel's first first team talk was if we finished fourth from bottom in the Premier League, we've had an unbelievable season. And wow, we finished fourth from bottom. You know, David Weather, David Weatherall's earlier against Liverpool, and you know, God, wow. If there's any way to stay up, surely beating Liverpool on final day at Valley Parade must have been right up there with your career highlights. Yeah, oh, yeah. Listen, what a day! Boiling hot day. We was in a relegation fight, but we had to basically win the game. Uh, Liverpool needed to win as well to get into the Champions League as well. So, but he, he, they sort of played a different team. I remember Jamie Redknapp playing wide left. You know, then you had obviously Michael Owen and, and Eski up front, Didier Man in midfield with Gerard. Uh, but they, they, I don't know, it was just a strange day, really. And um, I think it's the only time that, you know, Bradford City fans are delighted that Leeds United got in the Champions League because we beat Liverpool and Leeds obviously got into the Champions League. So, and I remember in the game, I remember in the game and it was nil nil. And obviously it was very tense, very. You know, uh, everybody was nervous. The, the fans were nervous, and then there was just this so almighty, bloody, it was like a volcano going off. And I'm like looking around. I'm not the brightest, and I'm thinking, oh, well, I ain't scored, and they ain't scored. Why are they all cheering? And obviously, Southampton had scored. Yeah. Um, I can't remember who they were playing at the time. Somebody was in the relegation zone, I think Bolton, maybe or something like that, and. So the fans are there on the on the radio or whatever what they're listening to, and to you know to say, well, if we if we draw, we still go up. Do you know what I mean? And we'll draw nil nil, and then obviously weather's come up with a world even header, and couldn't believe it when when the when the final whistle went. Right, crazy, crazy, it was unbelievable. Well, that summer, I mean, you just scored ten goals for a Premier League side, a struggling Premier League side, at that as well, arguably at the peak of your powers at that time. Were there any 
clubs circling that summer, any of the bigger clubs in England, or did you ever start to think that maybe the phone would ring for, uh, for an England call-up? No, I got one halfway through that season. Um, I think, oh no, was it the, I think, no, it was the championship season when we got promoted at, um, at Wolves. Uh, Paul Joe pulled me in and he said, Wolves want to sign me off for a million pounds. Remember Terry Orff being in the office, his assistant and, and uh, Chris Hutchins. And he went, do you want to go? And I went, well, no, I don't. He went, well, get out then. That's it. That's all I wanted to hear. And obviously, must have rang Wolves up and said, "Must have rang Wolves up and said, no, I don't want to go." And then that was it. The speculation had gone. Then I didn't even know there was speculation at that time. And then when we got to the Premier League, um, scoring the ten goals, people were talking about me, you know, playing for England or what? Not, not in a million years. I wasn't good enough to play for England at that time. You know, you had Shearer, you know, um, Sheringham, Andy Cole, uh, Robbie Fowler. Michael Owen coming through at that time as a young kid. So I was never, ever going to be good enough to play for England. I think now if you scored 10 goals in the Premier League, now you you, you get a sniff, wouldn't you? Do you know what I mean? But um, no, I, I never classed myself as good enough to play for England at that time. I didn't even think about it. I didn't even, you know, I don't know if people mentioned it, but I was never good enough. I had a chance to play for Scotland uh, when I was at Aberdeen. Craig Brown tried to, uh, wanted me to play for Scotland, but I didn't have any grandparents, uh, no connection with Scotland. And then uh, I was at the PFA Awards and Mick McCarthy, I spoke to Mick uh, and he says, have you got any Irish grandparents just before Republic were going to the World Cup? And I asked my dad and my dad said, no, you aren't. So that was that. So maybe, if, listen, if Scotland or, or if I'd have had Scottish grandparents or I'd had Irish grandparents, I'd have probably would have played for one of them because I knew I was never going good enough to, to play for England. So, you know, disappointment is that I actually lied to Mick McCarthy I said to Mickey, I've got an Irish grandparent. And uh, I think we had a few drinks at the time. And uh, about three or four days later, my mobile goes private number. And I don't normally answer private numbers. And and uh, it was uh, a woman. And I went, hello. He went, hi, it's, I can't remember her name, Janet. Uh, I'm, I'm Mick McCarthy's PA from from uh, uh, Republic of Ireland. And I thought it was a wind-up. <laughs> and I went, yeah, whatever. She went, no, no, serious. You were talking to Mick McCarthy at the PFL Awards? I went, oh, yeah, I was. He says, and he said, you've got Irish grandparents. Uh, could you send your documents in? And I went, oh, no, I was only, I was only joking. <laughs> and I wish I wish I wasn't. I wish I would have had some Irish grandparents. And, you know, Mick, I, I ran Mick up afterwards. I said, sorry, I was, like, taking the piss a little bit, really. I didn't, I, I didn't, I didn't, I didn't know that you were serious about it. He went, yeah, I was, he said. And so maybe Mick would have took me in the squad. But, it, you know, some things are not meant to be, unfortunately. And, Dean, uh, Bradford didn't manage to survive the second season in the Premier League. Um, you did join Middlesbrough, though, so you stayed in the Prem, and it's an amazing borough side at that time. Brian Robson in charge, and a few months after you join, Terry Venable uh, joins forces with him as joint managers. You've got players like Gareth Southgate, Paul Ince, Alan Boxich. The names are brilliant, yeah. and, and your name alongside them. Do you think that was the best team in terms of quality that you were a part of in your oh, career yeah incredible incredible listen at the time Jeffrey Richmond the chairman of Bradford pulled me in bear in mind we'd signed Benny Carboni Dan Petrescu Ashley Ward David Hopkins um, Billy McKinley so we had we had we had a number like and obviously then we had Bigger McCall uh, Gary Walsh in goal Blakey Millsy Jamie Lawrence you know Andy Myers we, we had an unbelievable side but 
the second season syndrome was the same. Didn't really work. You know, Jeffrey Richmond spent a lot of money on them on them signing it, i.e. in wages. And it looks as though we're getting relegated, but I was still playing well. Jeffrey Richmond pulled me in. He says that we're going to offer you new contracts, but it looks as though it's not going to be a Premier League contract. It looks as though we're going to get relegated. And then two weeks later, then I get the phone call. And it was obviously Brian Robson was struggling at, 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 at Middlesbrough. Uh, Terry Venables came in to help Brian, uh, which I didn't know at that time. And we played we played Borough on a on a Wednesday night live on Sky in the FA Cup, and uh, I had a really good game. We got beat one nil. Uh, Christine Carrenville scored an app. Oh, Hamilton Ricard, sorry, scored an absolute weldy. Got beat one nil. Walked off the pitch. Walks in the tunnel. Terry Venables is still at the end of the at the end of the tunnel. And when managers shake your hand, and he shook my hand, and he went, "You was the best player on the park tonight, son." And I went, "Wow." This is Hotel, by the way. Do you know what I mean? And I went, what? He went, you was the best player. And I ran, honestly, I got showered. I ran my agent up. I told him, I went, Terry Venables, you just said I was the best player and that. And I couldn't believe it. Two weeks later, I, I, I ended up signing for Borough for, for I think, 1.5 million, I think it was. And listen, he was the best manager I ever worked under, i.e. in the sense of man management. He was incredible. And the man was incredible. And like you just named them, them players off. The standards were so high, you, you could tell straight away, you know, Southgate's, you know, the professionalism, uh, God bless him, Hugo, who passed away, um, Incy, you know, was an unbelievable, me and Incy, he used to call me Bob the Builder at Incy, you know, because <laughs> I was on a building site, but um, I, you know, it's one of them, he wasn't a bully, but he was a very strong character, was Paul, and, and my dad used to say to me, a bully doesn't like being bullied. So when I first yeah. walked in the change rooms, he went, oh, we've signed Bob the Builder. And I went, yeah, I've, you've signed Bob the Builder because you're struggling and I'm here to get you out of it. <laughs> and we, we, me and Incy got on absolutely unbelievable. We used to take the mickey out of each other. And and, and obviously, you just mentioned the name there, Alan Boxic. Wow. Wow. What a centre forward he was. And and I just played him behind. I played as number 10. And I remember Terry Venables pulling me in first game, which I got injured against Newcastle. I pulled me back out, and uh, me and Gareth Southgate were at the hotel. I put me, I put me, uh, me bag in the boot, and as I leant over to put me bag in my boot, me me me, me disc come out, me back me, me back come out. So, just on the verge of, uh, of making my debut against uh, Newcastle at St James's Park, and and my back comes out, so I couldn't play, and I had to wait, I had to wait a, a couple of weeks till I got my back right, and I played up front with Alan. And he was just the best centre forward. He was quick. He had everything. Left foot, right foot. In training, his finishing. Lovely lad. Great lad. But it was it was just an unbelievable squad. You know, it was on them. And Terry come in. I remember my first game uh, away at Chelsea. I scored on my debut. And he says, you remind me of Teddy Sheringham. I went, oh, wow. Whoa, whoa. I'm on the next level here now. And I says, why is that? <laughs> Gaffer. And he went, because Teddy couldn't run either. <laughs> And he said, and I went, what? He said, I don't want you to run. He said, I just want you to walk into areas, which I was very, my football intelligence knew that anyway. And, but then they had like people like Paul Ince and Paul Orcon in midfield, you know, Robbie Musto, who would, who would get the ball into me. And then Terry used to say, then the light, the light switches on, it's up to you then. And me, me and Alan, you know, formed a good partnership. And we finished, we finished 14th. We finished 14th in the Premier League. Borough stayed up. 
Bradford unfortunately went down. Um, and then Terry left in the summer. I was absolutely devastated because I signed a three-year deal. You know, thinking that Terry's going to... Obviously, Brian was going to leave at the end of the season anyway. Um, and Terry left. And I couldn't believe it. I couldn't believe it. And, and then Steve McLaren came in. And then that's when it went a bit pear-shit. Talking of managers, you've got the current England manager as a teammate, Gareth Southgate. If I told you then that he would be the future England manager, would you have been surprised? Never in a million years. Quietest man in the world. He just he just sit in the chair, like, because I used to mess about me. I was to run with Mark Crossley, and obviously I was the joker. We'd, we'd have a laugh in the change rooms and doing stupid things like footballers do. And Gareth used to just sit there and laugh. He never used to. You know, obviously when Incy left to go to the Wolves, you know, Gareth become captain. Um, no, he was just a just a gentleman. I think I I think the first time I ever saw him lose it was when we played Everton away, and Steve McLaren come in and says uh, we're getting beat one 0 and we were awful. But Steve McLaren come in and says everybody all right? And we went yeah yeah. You know, come on, you're doing all right. And Gareth just lost it. First time I've ever seen him lose it. And he stood up and he's going, what are you doing, blah, blah, blah. We're doing all right. Blah, blah, blah. It's a joke, this, that, that. So it's the first time I've seen him actually lose his temper, really, in, in, the, in, the, in the two years that I worked with him. But he was just a lovely, lovely lad. And, you know, and, you know he lived in, I lived in Leeds, he lived in Harrogate. And I used to see him. I've seen him a few times now. And when he was England under 21 manager, trying to, trying to get him to get old Josh to play for England in the 21s. and uh, <laughs> But obviously, listen, he's, he's just a great lad. You know, no airs and graces, no big time Charlie. And uh, yeah, so I'm, I'm pleased he's doing really well. Uh, who are your most memorable opponents in the Premier League in that era? You, you've got a, a, a spell uh, just at the end of the 90s, the beginning of the 2000s, where there were some magnificent players and some magnificent defenders and defensive midfielders that you would have been coming up against each week. Who did you hate playing against and who did you kind of always fancy yourself against? Who did you have a good time against? Well, I used to, listen, I used to like people want to fight you because I want quick. So, uh, you know, I remember... Remember playing at Old Trafford. We beat them one 0 actually. Um, I think uh, Alan scored a penalty, or or somebody. Uh, or, yeah, I think Alan scored a penalty. We won one 0 And I remember walking down the tunnel at Old Trafford, and I and can I always just look on the team sheet all, all the centre halves I was playing against, and it was uh, Ronnie Johnson and and Yap Stam. And I looked at Yap Stam and I went, oh, "Wow, he was like it was like Ivan Drago with Rocket." You know what I mean? And I thought, oh God, I can't, I can't pull up against him. Here. I'm going to have to go on to Johnson, like. So I tried pulling on the weak one, but when you play in the Premier League, there's nobody weak. <laughs> so Yap was the first one where I thought, wow, strong, very quick, great on the ball. Um, but for me, for me, the best centre half was Tony, Tony Adams. When I played against him, he, he was so clever. He was so like he, he wasn't like. He, he didn't want to fight you all the time, he, he, you know. So when you drop the ball off, you turn round and he'd be 20, 30 yards away from you. But then when you turned, and then he'd be up here, you know. And he was so intelligent in the sense of that he could mix it, but then he could play as well. So Tony was probably the best one. The the, the ones I loved to play against was, and, and, and Martin won't like me for this, but Martin Keown, you know, I spoke to Martin a few times and he used to go away. Why did you always pull on me and that? Because I used to wind him up. He used to want to fight me. He used to try kicking me, and I could back into him. 
you know, like Sol Campbell's the same. He wanted to fight you a little bit. So Sol and, and, and Martin, I'd like to play against because they'd like to fight against you. I know Sol was quick. Martin was quick as well, to be fair. But I remember playing in the semi-final of the FA Cup for Borough against Arsenal. And we should have won the game. We got beat 1-0 by a Jan Lucafesta on goal. And Gareth Southgate said to me, because he knew Martin Keown, obviously through England, he said, keep pulling on Martin Keown because he'll get paranoid. So every time when I used to call him this and they used to call me that and I used to call him this and this, that and other, which obviously you can't really say on here, but and he hated me, Martin. But I used to just love playing against him. I used to I knew that he was getting angry, I knew he was trying to kick me, so I could back into him and get fouls. So it's different types of centre halves, but like I said earlier on, there's not many chances you get in the Premier League and when they do come along you've got to take them. Um so, yeah, things didn't go so so well at Borough um, in in the following years. You end up moving to Sheffield United. It's it's not something that we're going to dwell on because we've got happier times to to talk about. But I do want to know from the Sheffield United story: um, How do you end up in a position where you've played twenty odd games, you've scored goals to get your team into the playoffs, and you end up watching the team that you play for playing a playoff final in the pub? In the pub. How, yeah. how does that happen? Well, he left me out. I played every game, like you say, and, and um, he just sort of said, uh, Neil said, he put me in the hotel. We went to, to the Belfry, had a game of golf. Uh, and then obviously the lads was having a sauna and this and another. And he pulled me in as we were going home, me and Paddy Kenny. I was I was uh, in the car with Paddy. Pulled Paddy in first. Paddy was signing new contracts. And I said to Paddy, I'll just put your bags in the car. I'll wait for you in the car. And Warnock said, no, I, I want to speak to you after I've spoke to Paddy. So I went to put the bags in the car, come back, Paddy come through to another room and said, he's, he's ready for you now. I walked in and he just said, I'm not playing you. I, um, I'm going to go for pace. Uh, Stevie Cabo and Carlos Arbor. And, and I was devastated. I went, you're having a laugh. And then he, then the next breath he says, I'm not putting you on the bench either. I'm Because he never used to put a goalkeeper on the bench. He said, I'm putting Alan Kelly on the bench because I can't afford if Paddy gets injured in such a, uh, an important game. And it was at the Millennium Stadium, and uh, and I went, you you you're taking the now, and he went, no, no. He said, you want to be a manager one day, and you'll have to make decisions. This is the hardest decision I've had to make. Cut a long story short, you know, I've said it. Probably everybody knows about it now. Is you know, I wanted to hit him, I wanted to punch him. If there weren't been people in the in the hotel, I'd probably hit him. And and as I'm walking away, he turned around and says, "Will you tell the press that you've you've got a groin strain?" And I then my head went. I just said nah. and I lost respect for him. I was supposed to sign for him the year after John Andrew was my solicitor at the time. I was doing my contract, and I ran John and I said, "I can't sign for him. I don't want to play for him anymore. Can't trust him." And they got beat three 0 by Wolves. If I'd have played, would they have won? Nobody would have known. I doubt it. The way they played on the on the day, and my wife said on the day in the morning, and I was running around the house. I was like, you know, and she said. Just ring your mates up and go to the pub and watch it in the pub. And yeah, I always remember it. All my mates were there and I was sat there and people were looking at me in the pub going, why are you here and you're not on there? And I didn't want mm. to talk about what had gone on. And I just sat there and it was like being best man. I was best man at my brother's wedding when he first got married. You know, every about 10 or 11 pounds, but you can't get drunk because you're that nervous. I was stood <laughs> near the bar and I was, on, I was drinking Guinness at the time and, and I must have had about 10 pints. And I felt as though I had half a, half a Guinness because I was that nervous for the players. Mm. I wanted them to win out because all the players rang me up and said, I can't believe you're not playing. 
this, that, another, and and I was devastated. I I, I actually I actually thought I'm never going to get a chance. I missed out in the FA Cup semi final with, with Borough when we got beat one 0 to play in the FA Cup final. That was my dream as a kid, watching you know the FA Cup with my dad on the couch with a scarf around your neck. Uh, when the coach and the cameras used to go on the coach, so I thought, God, what an opportunity to play in the FA Cup final. Missed out on that. And then with the biggest game of my career, and it, and it leaves me out. I was devastated, absolutely devastated. But I tell the story the season after, I, I go back to Bradford. I signed back for Bradford and people say, don't go back. And the first game of the uh, the championship season, we play Norwich at, at Valley Parade. And I get a phone call and it was Neil Warnock. And I went, hello. And he went, Dean, it's Neil. I went, hiya. He was obviously still manager of Sheffield United. He was in the championship as well. So they never, never won. And uh, he says, um, I just want to say, I, I probably made a big mistake. He said, but as you say, you want to be a manager and you've got to make decisions. You live by him, you die by him. But you improved this football club while you was at this club. And you know what? I respected him. I respected the man for it. We had a few runnings after that as well when he was Palace manager as well. But <laughs> I actually I actually just respected the man for it. And when I was ambassador of Old City and he used to bring his teams to the KCOM or the KC at the time, I'd go sit in the off in, in his change rooms with Kevin Blackwell, who was assistant manager at the time of Chef Knight, and go and have a cup of tea with him and, uh, and talk about old times and that. So there was no animosity, you know, from my point of view. And obviously from Neil's, of course, I was devastated. Like when Brian Orton released me, I was devastated. But things happen for a reason and, and then you move on from it. Yeah, you move on. You move back to Bradford. At 34 years old at this point, you came to the game late, but you've still had a good probably 12 seasons of professional football. And yet, yeah. over the next three and a half years, you're still absolutely banging them in for Bradford. Yeah. Uh, over 60 goals over three seasons. Why do you think you could continue to score goals at a time where most strikers, the majority of professional strikers, are starting to slow down and their bodies perhaps breaking down? How did you maintain that level of, of goal-scoring ability and, and the physicality too? Well, I was, I, like I said, I was a fitness fanatic. So I never, ever had a day off. So when I, when I on a Wednesdays, when we used to have days off on a Wednesday, I used to just go, uh, used to cut, my mate who was Andy Cousins, who used to play for Leeds United, he, he was at my, he used to run this gym. Or he was in this, this room where I used to call it, a, they called it a fat suit, where you put this suit on and you'd run on the treadmill and, and you'd sweat all the, all the, all the, like massive sweat on. So I used to go there every Wednesday and I'd run on the treadmill and, and, and do loads of sit-ups on this machine and things like that. So I was obsessed by fitness and I always was till, till I finished at the age of 40. And, you know, I've been retired 11 years now and I don't think one day goes by where I don't do any running. And so I've always been, I think it's a, the fact that every supporter called me fat and I was never ever fat. I looked, I looked big on the pitch. And so I had that like complex, I don't want to be fat. Even when I retire, I, don't, I look fat on TV because TV puts £10 in you and things like that. But I was never, ever big. So when when Brian Robson was manager of, of Bradford, he, he left after three or four months. You know, he, he, I don't think he, he could cope with it, working with, you know, not so much great players, but, you know, he's worked with the Borough players, you know, Janino, into you know, blah, blah, blah. So he, he found it hard and Colin Todd then took over. And uh, I tell the story where, where you're right, I was scoring goals for fun, and obviously um, Paul Jewell came in for me uh, when he was manager of Wigan, and he offered 350 grand, and and he offered me a massive wage, a massive wage at the age of 34, 
35 and and I said to Colin Todd, what shall I do? And he says, I'll get you another two-year contract here, which took me to 37. But I wasn't on, all right, it was decent money, but I'm not, not the money that Wigan were offering me. And I turned it down because my wife was going in the police at the time. So I was living like about seven miles outside Bradford. So I, it was 20 minutes to the training ground and uh, I could pick my kids up from school. So I thought, well, they're offering me another two-year deal, which will take me to 37. And that's the reason why I stayed at Bradford, <laughs> ironically, because I lived in the village with, with, with Paul Joel and, and John Hendry. Um, Paul didn't speak to me for a year. <laughs> I'd see him in the local shop and he'd blank me because I turned him down. And, and the reason why I turned him down is, is uh, I'll tell you the story, he offered me uh, 10 grand a week, a uh, £1,000 appearance money and a £1,000 a goal. And he says, you'll play up front with uh, Emileski. And is it camera? Was it camera up front at the time? But then his next words was, um, but if you if if you come off off the bench, you still get your thousand pound appearance money. And then my, my alarm bell started to ring. I thought, well, I, am I going to go there as a squad player or am I going to go there and play up front with, with Emil? And I said to Colin Trod, I said, he's, you know, I don't think I'm going to play week in, week out in the Premier League. And I actually thought at the age of 36, I think it was, I, I thought, I can't play in the Premier League at 36 anyway. I thought, you know, I'm, I know I was still fit, but I, you know, I was coming to, my body was starting to ache a little bit. And Toddy said, look, it's up to you, but I'll get you another two-year deal. And I said to Paul, look, thank you very much for the offer. Um, the money's great, but, you know, I was comfortable where I was. Listen, it was a big decision to make. Um, and my wife said, do whatever you want to do. Do you know, like, again, don't chase the money. Do you know, the money will come to you. And those will go on later on. So, Dean, you had a big decision to make when your boyhood club came back into you, offering you a third spell. You were chasing down the Bradford City record goal scorer, record goal scoring uh, number as well. And before you moved to Hull, you suggested uh, to a few people that you were pretty reticent to make the move because of that landmark you were coming up to. How difficult a decision was it to leave Bradford and go back to the team you supported as a boy? Um, listen, the one thing about it was that because I was still scoring goals, I think I scored I think I scored 60 goals in three seasons under Colin. You know, and Toddy was brilliant. Absolutely. I don't know if anybody saw Colin Todd play. I never saw him, but my dad said he was unbelievable for, you know, as a footballer as well. And But we had, we had a father and like, listen, like every manager I got on with, apart from Alec, you know, we had like a father and son relationship, which I had with, with Terry Dole and obviously Phil Brown in the end, people like that. And, and, and Colin was, he was fantastic. He was, he used to tell me, just say, look, every day off to their training, I'd go, no, no, I want to train, I want to train. Because obviously I was 36 at the time, coming up to 37. And and Colin got the sack and he should never have got the sack. Shouldn't. I probably wouldn't have gone back to all if Colin would have been still at Bradford for another couple of years. He, he did an unbelievable job on a, on a, on a, on not a very good budget. And uh, Colin got the sack Um Julian Rhodes, the chairman, who I, was, I used to play tennis with Julian, he pulled all the senior pros in, me, David Weatherall, Wayne Jacobs, Peter Atherton. Um, and everybody was expecting me to, to, to take over. And I was still playing. And, and, and in the end, Wayne Jacobs took, uh, took, took the temporary job in, I think, about two weeks. And 
<laughs> Jake's is a great friend of mine, and uh, you know, but he left me out. I had a bit of an argument with him on that he, he wanted me to play in midfield, and I said I'm not playing in midfield. I'm playing. I want to play up front. So he left me out, and then I had a bit of a spat, and then obviously, um, I think it was two weeks after that, Julian Rhodes pulled me in. And he says uh, we can't pay January and February's wages. It looks like we're going to go back into administration because they were on the verge of relegation again. And I went right, and I was sat down, and he says. We've just had a, uh, an offer of 350 grand loan deal from Roy Keane at Sunderland and Phil Brown at Hull. I nearly fell off the couch. I went, what? He went, and I went, I'm 37. He went, I know, they've just come in for you. Uh, obviously, your wages will go up. And every time you play for one of these clubs who you're going to go to, we get an extra £1,000 as well. So we get the 350 grand plus the extra 1000 quid every time you play. So it'll bail the club out, really. So I says, well, you know the answer. And he went, well, I know the answer, but I've got to ask you the question. So I said, yeah, Hull. Now, before all that, every time I was scoring goals for Bradford and Hull were in the same league, they would obviously got promotion under Peter Taylor, another man who didn't like me for some known reason. Um, Phil Parkinson was manager of Hull City, another lad, a man who didn't like me for some reason, probably very opinionated in the change rooms. Um, and every time Hull City got beaten, didn't score, my name got linked. You know, my mate, my dad would ring me, Oh, you're in the Hull Daily Mail again, Hull City are signing you. And I go, Dad, I've not heard out. Then I speak to David Burns, who was the local Umberside Radio, who did the games. And he says, Is it true you're coming back? And I go, Well, I ain't heard out. And Adam Pearson was the chairman. I used to get very good friends with Adam, and he used to ring me up. And he go, What's your situation at Bradford? And I go, Why? He said, I could do you back here. But the manager didn't want to do it. Peter Taylor didn't want to do it. And and then all of a sudden, uh, Parkinson got the sack. Phil Brown took over. The moral of the story was Nicky Barnby snapped his Achilles. Um, Julian Rhodes ran me up. And next minute, I'm driving back down the M62, meeting Phil Brown and, and uh, Colin Murphy in, in Medici's in North Ferriby in the restaurant. Me and my wife went down, spoke to Phil. I'd scored 12 goals for Bradford by then. And he says to me, how many goals do you think you get from now to the end of the season? Because Hull were four from bottom in the Championship. And I said, well, I've scored 20 goals in the last three seasons. If I score another eight goals for you from now to the end of the season, that'll keep Hull City in the, in the Championship. All of a sudden, they, you know, I become top goal scorer for Bradford. And then I ended up top goal scorer for Hull in the same season. And the eighth goal was against Cardiff City, which we, we won away 1-0. And I never thought my life would get any better after that. You know, Hull City kept in the in the championship. Um, obviously, then uh, my contract had obviously run out at Bradford, and uh, Phil offered me another two year contract, and that took me to to thirty nine. You say you didn't think it could get any better, but that was just the start under Phil Brown, who, as you said, arrived in December two thousand and six with Hull in the relegation zone. You joined in January, and the next season was quite special. Uh, the 07-08 season, it couldn't really get better for Hull fans either, having two hometown boys in, in Nicky Barnby and, and yourself in the side with Phil, Phil Brown in the dugout. You finished third. Um, uh, two defeats in the last three games put paid to any hopes of automatic promotion. And we often see clubs who just miss out on the playoffs, uh, sorry, on automatic promotion, struggle in the playoffs, but absolutely none of it. Uh, you beat, you, so you won in the, in the playoffs 6-1 on aggregate. And then, we get to Wembley against Bristol City. 
I mean, in my opinion, Dean, that is one of the most special moments of in, in EFL history, seeing you know, a 39-year-old scoring at Wembley to send his boyhood club in his third spell there up into the Premier League. Just tell us about your memories of the day, your memories of the goal, and just that whole season. Well, the, I think the, the thing that I think people got it wrong because when I was obviously I was 39 at the time and, and I've got the picture at home in my house where the, it's got the scoreboard and it says Windows 39th minute. So I scored in the 39th minute. I was 39 year old. So it was like that was strange. I, I've never <laughs> been to church before in my life. So, you know, he must have been looking down on me that day. Um, but with the season, obviously, then again, you know, obviously staying up, going on holiday, signing another two year contract to take me to 39 the trust we had that I had in Phil Brown and, and my players was incredible you know you talk about leaders Phil Brown didn't he didn't have to he didn't have to lead the team the the team led itself you know i.e. obviously Boz Mayhill had gone right through the divisions with the club Andy Dawson had gone right through the divisions of the club there was Damien Delaney there who had gone right through when obviously Damo left to go and play for Palace I think it was but the spine of the team was incredible, you know, in a sense. Then we brought in Wayne Brown, experienced centre-half. Michael Turner will become player of the year for the, for three years who went on to play in the, along, in the Premier League a long time. Ian Ashby had been right through the divisions, you know, centre midfield, brought in Brian Hughes, Dean Marnie, and then obviously me, Kellen Forland and, and, and Fraser Campbell. Uh, he brought Fraser in from a 19-year-old kid from Man United who was just a born goal scorer. Actually, first time yesterday, he ringed ring me yesterday, first time. So, he was like my son. I used to say I, I had three kids. You know, I had Josh and Jordan, and I had Fraser. He was my, my third son because I was 13. I was the old man and he was the, the young whippersnapper. And, but we had an unbelievable team spirit. Phil Brown was the probably another best coach I've worked under. You know, and ironically, Brian Orton was there as assistant manager who released me at the age of 18 with Steve Parkin. So listen, the full the full club was positive, and like you say, we, we got beat by Preston, and he came in at the end of the game and he he, he rang the right act. He absolutely kicked off and and said, "Look, if you think you can get in the playoffs with a performance like that, you, you're kidding yourselves." And after that game, we went on a, on a thirteen game unbeaten run, and found ourselves third in third in the division. Um, I'd got fourteen goals. Fraser had got 14 goals um, and then obviously people chipped in Michael Turner scored a lot of goals from corners you know Ian Ashby got a lot of goals from corners midfield players got goals so we had goals in the team and it, it managed it managed yourself you know and uh, me and Phil Brown were brilliant we had some run-ins like, we, like every manager does but I played against Phil Brown when he was at Bolton when he played him Phil played till he was 38 and I played when I was playing for Hull in the 90s. He played for Bolton when under Colin Todd when they got promoted at Bolton. So we knew each other and uh, he took a chance. He took a chance on me and and it worked. How about the goal itself? I mean, for anyone who hasn't seen it since, since that day in May, I mean, it's amazing how it just seems. The ball comes to you in a lot of space on the edge of the area. You're just yeah. in front, so you have to take a couple of steps back before yeah. hitting it first time on the volley into the top right-hand corner. It is a pure strike. It is so perfect a way to seal promotion. Just thinking back to that goal and the way you hit it and running into the corner at Wembley in yeah. front of the Hull fans, 86,000 people there. I mean, yeah. that, that, is a, that is a highlight not many 
footballers get to experience. No, listen, he said, I remember being at Middlesbrough and Steve McLaren saying, you get one defining moment of a game that could win you a game of football. And that was a one defining moment. Uh, and I know I keep repeating myself because I do a lot of podcasting as well, but it was either going to be me or Nick. You know, Nick lives around the corner from me here and, you know, we, 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 were, we were good friends as kids. You know, he was a little bit younger than me, but also, you know, his dad and my dad used to drink together and Nicky went on to have a wonderful career playing for England. And, and um, so it was either going to be me and Nick. You know, thankfully, you know, it fell for me. And, you know, I said to, I said the week before we were on the training ground, um, and I always remember every every see like every game. So when I kissed, I was thirty six, thirty seven, and and because um, thirty eight, sorry, because I couldn't play Saturday, Tuesday, Saturday, Tuesday, because obviously I was a lot older. He played Kellen Forlan alongside Fraser, or he played me alongside Fraser. So if I didn't play on the Saturday, I'd play on the Tuesday. So I'd do it that way, and then all of a sudden, like. I remember the week before, and he said, "Just go steady in training. Don't get any anybody get injured in this that, And just before we're setting off, the week about two days before, Phil starts walking towards me on the training ground, and I got that. Oh no, 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 no! Please, please, you're going to tell me I'm not playing, like Warnock did. And he walked up, and I went, "Please tell me I'm not. You're not going to play me." He went, "Why do you think that?" I said, "I've just, I've got a feeling." And he went, oh, no, you're starting. You're starting. I went, all oh, right, OK. He went, just give me 60, 65 minutes and then I'll bring Kellum on. And I went, because I was playing 60, 65 minutes and then they'd bring Fallen on if I, if I started. And I says, well, in that 65 minutes, Gaffer, I'll, I'll score the winning goal. And I don't know why I said it. And he turned around to me and went, I don't doubt you. I think he will. And in the 39th minute, at the age of 39, I thought, oh, my God, I've hit the best volley of my career. And the reason why I hit it, because I was blowing. I was I was blowing. I was, I was knackered. It was that hot. And when Fraser got down the side, I remember reading it back to Nick. Nick then ran with it, played it down the side to Fraser. Fraser first time we got in behind him. And Fraser got in behind. I remember Lewis Carey slipping. And uh, Nicky ran to the back stick. And I'm just catching up with play, basically. I remember all the defenders, like, protecting the goal because the goalkeeper went across to, to sort of narrow the angle down for Fraser. And I just waved. I waved to him. If he, he, he seen me waving. And I thought somebody was behind me. I thought somebody. I, I thought I saw a red shirt behind me. So I thought if I ever touch, somebody's going to tackle me. So I thought, sod it, just hit it. And it's the best strike I've ever hit. You know, you do it every day in training and then all of a sudden they're in the trees or they, they go over the bar or the this, that, I went. And thankfully, when it hit the back of the net, oh, I couldn't catch my breath. I went, oh my God. I didn't know what to do. And I just ran off and then Fraser jumped on my back. And the rest is history. And I'm getting emotional every time I talk about it. <laughs> Amazing. <laughs> That's what it's all about, Dean. No, it's just that, listen, it's just one of them moments and as you say, uh, speaking to my missus last night cause she runs my Facebook and my Instagram because I don't do all that I just do Twitter and, and she's going through all the pictures and I remember the, the open top bus uh, coming into Hull and you know this, it was it was just incredible incredible scenes and being a local boy I, I knew everybody I remember being on the open top bus and I remember women like pulling the top down and getting the getting the boobs out and thinking God I went to school there 
you know, <laughs> stupid little things like that. And, and, you know, obviously then coming into the square, into the city. And I remember uh, Brian Hughes, because I used to run with Yozza all the time for three years. And when Yozza turned around and I couldn't stop crying, I was crying every two minutes, you know, and they had Dino masks on and things like that. And, and Brian Hughes just turned around and went, this is for you, this. And I'm not a selfish man. I never have been. And I went, no, it's for all of us. He went, no, this is for you. You know, and I, I just I just couldn't believe how it changed my life. It changed my life. And as you say, I still live in Hull now and wherever I go, listen, wherever I go, anywhere, anywhere in the country, I get I get spotted and, you know, people, which is nice, of course it is, people wanting photos and this, that, and that. Um, but we had an unbelievable team spirit. And I couldn't have done it without that team. I couldn't have done it without Phil Brown taking a chance on me like Terry Dolan did. And, you know, I thank them people because, you say I won't be sat here telling these stories. You know, I could tell these stories every day of the week and they don't go away. The memories don't go away. The memorabilia, you know, I sold for cancer research, my shirt and my medals because I don't need trophies. I don't need shirts. You know, I've got it in my mind. I've got it in my head. And I know that people, I walk, I walk through, you know, Hull now going the rubbishest pubs in Hull and, you know, and they say, they still talk about it, what, is it 11 years now? Yeah. Every time I walk by the street and they go, what about that gold day? You get fed up of talking about it, it's quite honest with you, do you know what I mean? It's just, but supporters love it, supporters, you know, and it changed people's lives, not just, not for me, not for the players, but for businesses in Hull, do you know, it put Hull on the map, do you know, Hull gets some bad publicity sometimes and, but it did put Hull on the map, on the map, and it changed my life. Fair to say, things didn't necessarily go completely to plan. Uh, and for you personally, the next season, it was just about six months later you were loaned out to Oldham in January. Uh, there was rumoured interest from both Bradford and Leeds as well. Though you ended up going to, to Oldham. Just a quick word on that that kind of last bite of the cherry at Premier yeah, League was, level. You were. It, you were, you were yeah, on the pitch as well for Phil Brown's famous team talk on the pitch. Just how, how did that six months go for you? Yeah, well, again, I went, I, as you said, he left my contract. And, and maybe le- looking back now, you know, probably with the biggest regret, I should have retired after the, after the goal, really. Uh, but Phil said, you know, I want you to, I want you, you've got another year left. You're not going to play a week in, week out. You, you know, obviously, you'd be sub and this, that, that. Be, be around the change rooms, but you know, you know, basically, because I was the, 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 the oldest and the most, most experienced, really. And I went back pre season fit again. I did, I trained again right through pre season, even at the age of 39, coming towards 40. I went back unbelievably fit. Uh, I thought I'd have started against Fulham the first game because we had a couple of centre forwards who was injured. He didn't start me, but I knew that I wasn't going to be playing. And then which I was disappointed with, and Phil knew that. I kept knocking on his door, even at the age of 39, saying I should be playing. You know, the, the striker's not... I know it's a different level. Now you're playing in the Premier League again. And, but I, I felt as though I could have contributed. I didn't. And then, obviously, Gary McAllister came in for me uh, when he was manager of Leeds. Um, uh, Bates, the chairman, wouldn't... Because I, I was 39-year-old, wouldn't, wouldn't pay half my wages. So that fell through. Sean O'Drissel came in for me at Doncaster, but Doncaster were bottom of the league at the time. And I thought, I don't want a relegation battle at the age of 40. And then Mark Crosley, who was, who was roaming with that Middlesbrough, he was uh, goalkeeping coach at Oldham. And he said, Sheds wants to take you. John Sheridan wants to take you. It won't far from my house anyway, Oldham to Leeds. And I thought, there was six in the, in the in League One. I thought, yeah, I'll probably try to get him in the playoffs. But it didn't work out. Some things don't work out. 
Um, found it very difficult, you know, dropping down a little bit um, when you're, you know, flicking things around the corner and people are running away. And I, and I, and I stopped enjoying it then. I stopped, I stopped enjoying it. I stopped enjoying training. Um, and then I just said to John Sheridan, I'm going to go back to Hull. Uh, I trained, but I couldn't play because I was on loan from 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 Hull to the end of the season. So I couldn't play for Hull anyway. But I went back to Hull, just trained at Hull. And then I uh, I retired at the end of the season. Well, Dean, I mean, the, the idea behind this series was to try and understand what it takes to make the journey from, in your case, uh, non-league football with North Ferriby to uh, rubbing shoulders with the, the very best players in the game in the Premier League, everything in between. It is quite the story, quite the journey. So thank you so much for your time, for all the memories and, uh, yeah. and for explaining it to us. Well, I just said to kids, you know, like Josh now being at Sheffield Wednesday, and I say to all kids now, you know, what, what makes it, you know, what makes you play at the top level? What makes you be so su- successful? You know, and, and the word is sacrifice. You've got to sacrifice your life. And I sacri- sacrificed my life for 20 years. You know, like I said, I wasn't the best player in the world, but I knew what I was good at. And, you know, nobody could ever grumble when I crossed that white line that I never give 100%, you know, and I did. And probably supporters related to that. And uh, so I thank every supporter that I played under. I thank every supporters that I didn't play under because they spared me on calling me you fat B and that you know so that spared me on so I thank everybody that I worked under I thank everybody who supported me my family you know and now hopefully Josh will go on and and have a career like I did well I think that's a a very very great place to stop so thank you very much Dean no it was a pleasure Well, simply a huge thank you to Dean Windass for his time and for his memories, but also to you for listening. There's plenty more where this comes from. Make sure you're subscribed to the Going Up, Going Down podcast feed for all future episodes. The Athletic have a whole host of other podcasts which are all free and available ad-free on the Athletic site. But of course, so much good written content going up daily as well from the Athletic's stable of excellent football writers. So if you'd like to give the Athletic a go, head to the athletic.co.uk forward slash EFL pod for a 90-day free trial. And we will be back again next week.